When I was in college, I met the love of my life, uh, Shauna Swan. And one of the great early encounters we had was praying over a guy um, who was dealing with demons. We were together as a part of this Bible study, and I was leading the, the, the speaking time as a primary speaker, and a friend of mine was, was leading the music, and uh, we got to the end, and everybody, everybody stood up and, uh, and, and left the room except uh, Shauna and me, because we saw a guy who was, who was just in his chair with his face in his hands. And it seemed like he couldn't move, and we couldn't tell what was going on in him, but Shauna sat on one side, I sat on the other side, and I asked him how he was doing, and he couldn't respond. He just kind of tried again, as, as I recall, and he, he still couldn't respond, so I just started to pray. And as I was praying, all of a sudden, this demonic voice came out of him. Now, I'd never heard a demonic voice before, but it sounded like what I would have expected it to sound like. And honestly, it scared me to death. I didn't know what to do. So I just kept praying, and the demonic voice kept going. I kept praying, the demonic voice kept going, and that's kind of how it was for a while. Shauna started praying as well, and I had grown up in Africa, I had seen some stuff, but I had never seen that before. I had read the Bible before, but I'd never really been equipped or, or trained in how to deal with the demonic. Years later, I would be mesmerized by passages like Paul, where he says, we are not unaware of the devil's schemes, and I'm thinking I'm utterly unaware of the devil's schemes, and where our battle is not against flesh and blood, and I'm thinking, all I know is flesh and blood stuff. I have... Never been trained or equipped or discipled into an understanding of the spirit world. Now, growing up in Africa, I was well aware of it, believed in it, knew the importance of it, and it's all over the scriptures. But in the States, it wasn't being discussed, and suddenly, Sean and I ran headfirst into it. Well, it progressed. As we kept praying for him, it went on for about an hour and a half, and eventually, our friend began to claw at his face with his fingernails. He started pulling his hair out. He was in tremendous torment. And we were praying with all that we had for him to be rescued from this overt demonic attack. And finally he was. By the grace of God and power of God and for the glory of God, he finally just collapsed. Uh, the demonic presence left him. And he began this incredibly powerful journey with Jesus that happened on that night. I remember leaving there with about a million questions and nowhere to get answers to those questions. And all of you who are, are hopefuls and have come through and, and received some of the spiritual warfare training that we do at Hope, you, you know the story of how it took years of finally be, being able uh, to be blessed by God with, with spiritual mentors who could begin to pour in uh, in this area. And one of the things that I think is so significant for, for you and me, and I hope for all of you who are covenant members here at Hope Church, is this understanding that spiritual warfare is not just peripheral for us. It's not just something that happens 
every once in a while and we better get some equipping so on that rare day when it happens we'll know what to do about it but we'll we'll instead wrap our minds around the truth that spiritual warfare has been here from the beginning satan against god it's right there in genesis chapter 3 where satan is tempting eve and she sins and and adam sins and and all throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, the days before Jesus, you have sin and people continually offering sacrifices because of that sin. Before Satan caused that issue, the world was perfect. There was no sin and there was no heartache. There was no death. There was no disease. Everything was good. It looked like heaven is going to look until Satan came and began to cause those problems and people were having to offer sacrifices because of their sin all the way to Jesus. God in his infinite love and mercy sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life to be a perfect sacrifice. So that when he died on the cross, it was a once for all sacrifice and you and I don't have to offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus became our sacrifice. And the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that when he died on the cross, He made a spectacle of the powers and authorities. He made a spectacle of Satan and the demonic realm. He exposed them, the Bible says, to shame. Now you would think Jesus was the one on the cross dying the worst of deaths that anyone in the Roman Empire at that time could die. Right there, along with the thieves and the criminals, the worst of the worst. But the Bible says that everything was really flipped on its head. And when Jesus died... He made a spectacle of those powers and authorities. He put to shame the demonic realm, proving that he was victorious over all of them. He defeated them on the death, by his death on the cross. He rose on the third day, proving that he was ultimately victorious and that we also one day will rise from the dead to have eternal life with him in heaven. If we believe in him, if we trust in him, and if we surrender to Jesus all that we are and all that we have. What comes with that is the empowering of his presence in our lives. That means that God's spirit, the Bible tells us, the spirit of God Almighty dwells with us and lives with us. Now last week as we were going through Matthew chapter 8, we talked about the story of Jesus calming the storm and how that was quite possibly, even likely, demonically induced storm. And we deal with so much fear oftentimes because of the demonic realm when really it's the demons that are far more concerned about Jesus himself. The Bible says that the demons shudder. They shake when they think of God. They are far more concerned about us, if the presence of God is in us, than we ever are of them. And so the question for all of us in Houston, Texas in 2021, is what do we do about this? How do we take this massive hole in our Western theology, and begin to fill it in. At Hope Church, for nine years, that's been our goal, along with a number of other goals. How can we be equipped by the Scriptures to better understand the spiritual realm so that we can walk in the truth of the Scriptures and the fullness of what God has called us to do? So Matthew chapter 8 is an amazing place for us to go. Because we're going to see Jesus run headfirst into these demonized individuals. Now, I just want to underscore again, this is not a peripheral story. This story is in the Scriptures for a reason, because it's God's way of helping equip us into the fullness of who we are in Christ. Matthew 8, verse 28, as Randy read for us a minute ago. And when he came to the other side, 
to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. All right, we are going to unpack a lot. Hang with me. This is what we call uh, demonology. It's a study of demons. It's a doctrine of, of demons. This passage has a lot for us to learn. When he came to the other side, he was leaving the Jewish realm, the Jewish area, and crossing a geographic boundary, which was the lake, and coming to a Gentile area. So he came to the other side often means, and I think it does in this case, that he was leaving one area or one region and coming to the next. When he came to the country of the gathering, so this Gentile area, two demon-possessed men met him. Okay, two things. One, Mark 5 only records one man instead of two. That happens elsewhere in the Scriptures where instead of two, you might just have one depending on uh, the account. You might have one author who finds it especially helpful just to focus on one person. Someone else might focus on two people. It's important for us to remember that these were written by, by Hebrews who were walking in a Hebrew culture who would not have been focused on the same types of things that we are focused on. In our Western culture, it's especially important. Are you talking about one person or two or three or whatever it is? In the Hebrew culture... It was acceptable to focus on, you could highlight one person or you could highlight two different people. You could think about it like an apple. If you're looking at an apple and I'm looking at an apple, maybe there's a brown spot on the apple and I choose to record the fact that there's a brown spot. You may not choose to record that there's a brown spot on the apple. We have our own differing perspectives on what's important when we highlight the apple. In the times of the scriptures, you had different authors, different people who were writing down what had happened and highlighting what they felt was important for them. We're going to see this here in Matthew chapter 8. Two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. Demon possession, in my opinion, is not the best way to interpret the Greek, which is daimonitsomai. If you're a covenant member at Hope, you've heard this before. Daimonitsomai, which literally means that someone has a demon. It's the concept of attachment. There's a demon attached to someone. You can think of ticks on a dog. The ticks don't control the dog. They don't own the dog. They don't possess the dog. Those ticks are attached to the dog. In time, they can make that dog sick. But we wouldn't say that someone was possessed by those ticks. We would say that a dog is influenced by those ticks, susceptible to the ticks, maybe even made sick in some way uh, by the ticks. It's helpful. And I think increasingly in our Bible translations, we'll begin to see this. Two demonized men met him. So rather than demon-possessed, and there's a lot we could unpack there if we had more time, but let's stick with two demonized men met him. So demon-possessed, but we can also say demonized. Men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. We're told in Mark 5, in this parallel account in Mark 5, that they were struggling with very powerful Individual here who could be tied up with chains but break the chains, who could take rocks and cut himself with rocks, who would go around naked without any clothes on. You can sort of imagine the scene that the people in the gatherings uh, were dealing with. These two men were so fierce because of this demonic presence on them that no one wanted to pass that way. And behold, they cried out, the two men did, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
I love how the book of Mark in Mark, in Mark 5 records, it, it's only recording one man, but it talks about how he runs to Jesus and falls down in front of him. Where Matthew 8 is saying that the men were so fierce, no one would want to go near them. So no one wants to go near them because they're so fierce. But when Jesus shows up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, they run and they fall down before him. Now, some scholars say, well, that's the demons going and running before Jesus. Others may say, well, no, that's, that's the men. They're running before Jesus. I personally lean towards the latter. I think it was the men. Can you imagine being that powerfully demonized? Maybe for most of us, it's not something that we've experienced. Maybe you have experienced it. I know lots and lots of people who have dealt with really powerful demonization and sometimes it looks like rolling around on the ground and in South Sudan I've seen that so many times various places in Africa sometimes it looks like really powerful nightmares that happen over and over again sometimes it's a physical condition there have been ladies I've prayed for who never been able to get pregnant because of the attack of of demons on their lives there are visible and invisible ways that demonization affects a lot of people, including so many in our, in our culture whom we may not even know are dealing with the demonic realm, which ultimately is Satan's greatest tool against us. If we are truly unaware of the devil's schemes, we are more susceptible than we can ever be, which is why the scriptures are constantly trying to equip us. And why I think in this culture of, of the Hebrew time, 2,000 years ago, they would have been much more aware of what was happening in the demonic realm. And I can only imagine these two men, where the rest of the villagers were so fearful of them, didn't even want to come to them, where they were dealing with cutting themselves with rocks and walking around naked and everything else that was going on in their life. I would have to think that day after day, they longed for freedom. They just longed for a touch, someone to care about them. Someone to love them. Maybe some way for them to gain freedom. Have you ever been there before where you're just so desperate for a touch of God because you know nobody on this planet can help you? You need God himself to come just invade your life and powerfully do what only he can do. And that's what happened here. I think that was them seeing Jesus and they come and run before him and fall down before him because something in them recognized that there was a different power about this man. Well, they came, we're told, Mark 5, they fell before him, and behold, verse 29, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? How do they know that Jesus was the Son of God? Well, the demons are not omniscient. They don't know everything, but they have some understanding of what's happening. And here, they had an understanding that this was Jesus. This was the Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time, they said. They know who, the, who is in the rightful place of the Almighty. They know that they can't compare to Jesus. And they know that one day they will have to stand judgment. Have you come to torment us before the time, before the day of judgment, where the Bible says that Satan and the demonic realm will be thrown into the lake of fire, this horrible, eternal judgment that they will have to face. Verse 30, so now... A herd of many pigs 
was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. That's not a very noble way to make your exit. But the demons were desperate here. After all, they were coming face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I remember this great story a friend of mine told one of his first encounters with praying for someone who was demonized. And he said that he went in and he began to command the demon to leave in the name of Jesus. And he said he was just dealing with so much fear. And it went on and on. The demons were pushing back on him. And, and finally, uh, he was just so, so overcome with this feeling that he was inept and inadequate. And he just, he just couldn't do it. And he said there was a demonic voice that came out of the person that he was praying for. And the, the demonic voice told him, you don't have the power to deal with me. You can't get rid of me. And so my friend said he left the room because he was thinking, you're right. You're right. I can't do it. He left the room and he went and, and uh, just sat there and just, just began to pray and say, God, I, I can't do this. I don't, I'm scared to death. I don't have the power to do this. And he just began to have this really powerful sense of the presence of God saying to him, you know, you're right. You don't have the power, but I do. And I want you to stand up, walk back in that room, and in the name of Jesus, command that demon to leave. And that's what he did. He walked back in, and, and he said, demon, you're right. I don't have the power, but Jesus does. And in his name, I command you to leave. And that demon left. I could tell you story after story of the number of times I've seen demons come face to face with the power of the living Jesus. Hope Church, do not ever for a moment doubt the power of the risen king. He has already made a spectacle of those powers and authorities. And they know it. When they come face to face with Jesus Christ living in you, they know that. One of the greatest mistakes we can make in our prayer times against the demonic or those times when we're ministering to someone who's dealing with demonic attack is to ever think too little of ourselves because it was never about us in the first place. It's about the fact that the King of Kings dwells with us. And every demon in this world knows it. Now, this story is interesting to me. Because the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus had already told this demon to leave. And then he says, what do you want with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And they see the, the pigs. And the demons beg him. Look at verse 31. They begged him, if you cast us out, Send us away into the herd of pigs. That is an incredibly significant part of this story. The demons are begging Jesus, please send us into the pigs. Now, why would they beg him to send them into the pigs? Could it be that they didn't want a worse punishment? Could it be that it's because Jesus is on his throne and he could send them wherever he wanted to send them to do whatever he wanted to do with them? I think so. I think to them, they... They felt like this was a merciful, a merciful action on Jesus' part. They knew that they were completely submitted to whatever he wanted to do. You see, one of the things that 
is most erroneous in our line of thinking is to think that it's really a battle between God and Satan in the sense that maybe God will win and maybe Satan will win. It's not a battle. The battle itself was won 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Whatever you and I experience today is not a battle in that sense. It's only a battle in the sense of Satan trying to do whatever he can to get to us. But even that is within the realm of God's sovereignty. The book of Job, chapters 1 and 2, if you've never read it, if you're ever struggling with demonic attack in your life, I highly encourage you to go back to Job 1 and 2 and read through it all over again. It's a powerful couple chapters of Satan coming to God and asking God, um, asking for God's permission, and God saying, you can do this, but don't go any further. Then he comes back again, and God says, you can do this, but don't go any further. God himself has to give the permission to Satan to allow him to do whatever he's going to do. You might remember the story of Peter, if you've read through the New Testament before, where Peter is one of the apostles' main disciples of Jesus. And Jesus told him at one point, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan has asked to go after you. God has to give him the permission to do whatever he's going to do. Look at this story here. These are the demons begging Jesus. Jesus, please will you allow us to do this? They have to ask permission. Whatever demonic attack you might ever be going through in your life is under the sovereign care of a loving God. Don't have fear. The demons are the ones who have fear. They're the ones who are even more aware than we are of how powerful our king is. But you and I are not to have fear. We know that God is sovereign over all things. There are times when he allows those attacks to come in our life because he wants to strengthen our prayer life, maybe humble us in some way, maybe draw us closer to him, maybe cause us to worship like we've never worshipped before because we just see how great he is. There are all sorts of redemptive reasons that God allows these attacks to come in our lives, but let's never ever go into those attacks feeling that God has abandoned us because he hasn't, or feeling that Satan is too powerful because he's not, or feeling that we're somehow ill-equipped. Because the spirit of the living God rests in us. And when we pray and God begins to move, he's going to do whatever, whatever he wants to do. So the demons begged to verse 31, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. Just one word. I love that. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. And drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled. And going to the city they told everything. Especially what had happened to the demon possessed men. Or the demonized men. And behold all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him. What did they do? They begged him to leave their region. That sort of seems shocking to me. The first time I read this story. What in the world are they doing? Why are they going to beg Jesus to leave them when he just so lovingly freed these men of what they had dealt with for so long, this horrible torment on their life. Wouldn't you instead be begging Jesus to stay, yearning for him to come into your village and to minister to everybody that was there? But instead, it seems like they were scared to death. Maybe scared to death of more pigs being killed. I don't know, more livestock being harmed. Maybe just scared to death of the sheer power that they had just witnessed. If you were with us last week, we saw the same thing with the disciples. When the storm was calmed, and Jesus turned to them and he said, where is your faith? Or why do you have little faith? And 
They were terrified. They said, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There is a sheer terror, a fear at seeing the power of God. And I wonder if that isn't what was going on here. The, the villagers came and they saw something they'd never seen before. They all knew these two men. Can you imagine the stories that they probably used to tell about those two guys who lived out in the caves and then suddenly they, they would walk up on them. And Mark 5 says that the man was dressed normally and in his right mind. They must have just been so shocked, maybe scared to death, maybe literally terrified at the power of God. Here's what I've experienced in, in life, just my own experience. There's a witch doctor in South Sudan I've prayed for for so many years. Every time I would come to town, he would leave. It happened over and over and over again. It went on for months until months turned into a couple years. Everybody knew it. Everybody would tell me he heard you're in town, and so he left. He doesn't want to talk to you. He knows you want to talk to him about Jesus, and he doesn't want to talk to you. Finally, I caught him in town. He was in town, so I fiercely got together some of the other pastors, and we went and we sat down with him. It was a great encounter. It was a great conversation. We shared the gospel, shared our heart out, and we finished, and he said, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in everything that you just said. I believe in the gospel the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And I want to follow Jesus. And one day, I plan to follow Jesus. But I can't follow him yet. And I was begging him, please, you don't, you don't know when your last day is. What if tomorrow's your last day? If you know that Jesus is, is the way to God, why won't you follow him now? And, and he said, but... This is, this is what I do, and, and this is who I am, and this is how I earn my living because people pay me to be a, a witch doctor. And he just, he just went on and on, and the, the conversation just stalled at that moment. We just kept going back and forth. We said, one day, one day, I know that Jesus is the way to God. One day I'm going to follow him, but just not today. And so here was a man who seemingly had a great fear of the living God. And of the Jesus that he knew dwelled within me and within the other pastors. He didn't even want to talk with me. He didn't even want to sit with me. He would leave town every time I was there until he knew finally he was going to have to sit and talk with us. He, he knows that Jesus is the truth. He has a great fear of the living God. But he also rejects him. And I think this was the same thing in the story. You had these villagers who had seen something they'd never seen before, and maybe it just scared them to death. And maybe it was too much because they weren't yet willing to surrender their hearts and life to Jesus and trust him. If they had, they would have encountered a love like they'd never seen before and a power that they've never seen before. It's as Charles Kraft has said before, it's great power wrapped up in great love. And that's what transforms us. The herdsmen fled, 33, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed or demonized men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Here's my question for us, Hope, tonight. What are we begging for? The demons are begging 
for Jesus just to let them go into the pigs. The people from the village are just begging Jesus to leave. I wonder what we're begging for. I wonder what we've stopped begging for. The sheer power of the risen Christ should be so evident in our lives and so at the forefront of our, of our prayers that as we are pressing in for the power of God, we, we aren't hiding under this fear of the demonic realm or fear of the world or fear of the uncertainty of the future, just like Daniel shared in his testimony. There's so many things in our world that we can be fearful of. But in the midst of it, we, we walk forward with boldness and with, with confidence because the, the power of, of Christ is within us. And when we, we pray, we pray like we're praying to the God who rules over things. We pray like we're praying to the one who's on his throne. And when we pray about that disease that has yet to be healed, that has racked our bodies for a long time, we, we pray knowing who we're praying to. And, and when we pray and we deal with the fact that we've got broken relationships over here, we're, we're praying to the God we know can restore those. And when we're struggling with our finances, but we're, we're praying, we're praying to the God we know He's in loving power and sovereign control. And whenever there's demonic attack that's coming in our life, we don't, we don't stand in fear. We stand confident in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't know what you're grappling with tonight or what you're struggling with, but this story is a story of hope. Two demonized guys who are experiencing the worst of the worst. Nobody, nobody could help them. And then Jesus shows up, and with a word, he says, Go. And everything changed. And I wonder what his word is for us tonight. Let me ask you to stand, our music team and our, our prayer team to come. I'd love to pray for us. And after I do, uh, we're going to invite you to come forward for prayer. going to be some of us up front. And uh, we're also going to have uh, some in the, in the back uh, this week. Tanner and Timber are going to be back there. So you can come pray with us up front. You can also uh, pray in the back. We would be so honored to pray with you. You may be a guest here or a covenant member. Please come. You might be walking with Jesus or maybe you've never followed him before. We invite you to come. It could be that you're dealing with something related to, to spiritual attack or it could be anything else in your life. Whatever it is, whatever you're going through, we would love to pray because we know who we're praying to. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for the power of Matthew chapter 8 and this amazing encounter. When I read this story, I'm just overwhelmed with your love. Jesus, you, you never just stayed back in the, in the places where everything was nice and neat. You were out there walking the paths and meeting the people who were just so, so afflicted by life and, and the hard things and the, the discouraging things and people who were just beat down and without hope until they met you and everything changed. And I don't know who needs prayer tonight and what they need prayer for, but as, as we come, as we express our, our hunger, our desire for you to move, I pray that you would just stir in us as we're praying now, that you would touch us, that by the power of the name of Jesus, the same power that freed those men of that demonic attack,